Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Today's guest is one of the greats of Irish theatre, a Tony Award winning director and co-founder of Druid's Theatre. It's a pleasure to welcome Gary Hines. And Gary, because of Covid, I'm aware this is such a dreadful time for the theatre world and we'll talk about that presently. But maybe if we could begin on a happier and more pleasant note, you, you turned your hobby and your passion as a student into a career. Most of us wouldn't have the courage to do that. Oh, well, I don't think it took much courage at the age of 21 or 22. I mean, uh, I did, you know, I, uh, I was in Dramsock in, in UCG and I, myself and Marie Mullen and a few other people who said we want to go on doing plays, so let's found a professional theatre company. Um, you know, it's easy when you've no responsibilities and you're that age. It was, was keeping on with it, probably, that required a bit more courage in the darker times. Yeah, because, I mean, when you take responsibility for people's wages and their livelihood etc that changes all very quickly doesn't it yeah it does um to the degree that you know uh, the livelihoods are very sustainable ones in the first place i mean we were unique in start-up theater companies at the time that we actually paid a weekly salary and i know that uh, what it was in that first summer of 75 was accommodation i.e a room a, a bed in a room and two pounds a week pocket money so <laughs> you, you, you went and got a bank loan didn't you yeah, we did. We got um, we got a bank loan of, I think, £350. And as a result of that, we were forced to give the company a name. And uh, the best we could come up with was Druid, which came from the Asterix cartoon at the yeah. back of the Irish Times. And so we said, right, no more argument. We'd put that down and then we'd change it as soon as we get a chance. <laughs> so 45 years later, still haven't got around to it. And it's such a such a pivotal brand name now in, in Irish theatre. But when you went in looking for the loan, what did you say? Did you were setting up a theatre company? I, I think we did, yeah. I think we, what we would have probably sort of positioned ourselves as is that uh, we were doing plays for the people of Galway, but in particular for the visitors to Galway in the summer months, which, you know, there was the sort of beginnings of what's now become the massive industry of tourism uh, in Galway during the summer months. And that that's when we started the first productions, opened in July of, of 75. So did you choose plays with tourists in mind? Yes and no. We tried, We actually, funnily enough, we did three plays, as if doing one wasn't enough. We did three plays in, in that first summer. Um, we did Loves of Cass Maguire by Brian Freel. We did Playboy of the Western World for the first of 175 times in the Druid's subsequent career. And then we did a new play, actually, called It's a Two Inch, uh, Two Foot, Six Inches Above the Ground World. So we tried to strike a balance. Yeah. Sing was very crucial to you, though, all the way along. Well, I must say, I think at the time that we picked Playboy, it was because, you know, the, the name recognition of the title. But I remember so clearly that in rehearsal for it, uh, it was a period for all of us, really, of falling in love with Sing and, and sort of saying, well, if, if this thing called Druid lasts, we'll, we'll try and do it again and, and try and get it right the next time we do it. 
And can you explain what it is about seeing that you all fell in love with? The language, the storytelling, the sense that the plays made sense to us in terms of the landscape we lived in, in terms of the sound of the voices around us, the sounds of the West of Ireland. It's just a, 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 an extraordinary sense of connection from the get-go, despite the fact that the play was over 100 years old. Yeah, like when you set up... Or less. Yeah, but when you set up Druid, Gary, you had obviously the strong West of Ireland identity. Did people think you would fail because you were based in the West of Ireland and weren't in Dublin? To the degree that they thought anything at all, uh, they possibly did. I mean, I do know that we had to seduce audiences gradually, like we did lunchtime theatres, which you'd have four or six people coming to. And then if they came at lunchtime, our reasoning was they might actually try an evening show after that. So it was a few years and it was gradually sort of literally, I think, developing our audience individual by individual. And the fact that two or three years later we were still there and gradually more and more people knew what it was we did and were coming to every show. I still meet people on the street who say, I've seen everything that Druid has done. And those are the people that really are the big story about Druid. But to me, that's remarkable, your perseverance. If you did a lunchtime show with four or six people, I mean, is it, does that affect morale? Is it easy to keep going? Well, yeah, it does. I mean, it does affect morale, but again, not to the degree that you stop doing it. I mean, we used to have a kind of protocol in the sense that uh, the the lunchtimes used to start at ten past one, and if by five past one there was nobody there, we had an agreement that we'd stick up a piece of paper on the door saying uh, cancelled due to illness, and whoever it was was supposed to be ill on that particular day couldn't go up the town to the cellar bar and have their lunch. They had to stay off the streets for the rest of the afternoon. And did that happen often? It happened a good few times. Yeah. yeah. And at times, I'm assuming. There were three or four of you there that one of you, your morale might drop and the others would keep you, keep you going. I think we enjoyed each other's company. We enjoyed what we were doing. We really did believe in what we were doing as well. And, and, we, and kind of, we were pretty clear from the beginning about why we were doing it mm. and about it making sense. And I think that kept us going, really. Yeah. It's, a lovely, it's a lovely story that for anyone starting off to hear how you've stuck stuck with it together and stuck together and, and achieved success in the end. Your first musical choice, Gary? My first musical choice, Desperados on the Deeds. And it's kind of, I think, it feels like uh, the beginning of Druid. It feels like the kind of sound that was all around uh, in those couple of years, including 77, which is a really hot summer. First of all, it's, it's a brilliant song. Uh, it's as brilliant now as when I heard it first. And second of all, it just brings up back all sorts of memories. And are they all happy memories? Yes, actually. At this stage, yeah, they are. You mentioned the, the scorching summer of 77, which I remember fondly myself, but presumably that's a disaster for a theatre. Well, you know, again, uh, I don't remember it as such. I do remember that we could do all the making of the sets outside and, you know, like the sun seemed to shine every day and, and sort of people were happy about it. So that's my memory of it. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Desperados Under the Eaves by Warren Zevon, the choice of today's guest, Gary Hines. And Gary, you're talking about making the sets outdoors. Did all, did all, were all of you involved in every element of theatre? Um, yeah, we were in those first couple of years. Um, 
Uh, Mick Lally was, was the maker of sets and the carpenter and, and whoever else was there. Marie Mullen was, believe it or not, the financial director of the company in the sense that the money was carried in the bottom of her handbag. And all of us would have done administration and all of us would have roped in families and friends to do things like box office and so on. So, yeah, it was very much a group effort. I actually operated the lights for the first couple of years and uh, the lighting box was so small, I was the only person who could do it because I was small enough to fit inside it. (laughs) That's amazing. When did you first decide to tour? Kind of right from the beginning. It's, uh, I think our first, our first performance outside Galway was uh, to Athen Rye in something like about 1976. My experience was in, in college, and Marie's was as well, was being going out to the amateur drama festivals. We knew that there was audiences, like really hungry audiences out there in towns and villages. And so we would go anywhere there was an audience or anywhere we could build an audience. So touring was kind of there from the very beginning. But if you were going to Athen Rye, for instance, sets have to yeah. be moved, lighting, etc. all of that. Was was that a big issue at the start? Well, I, I certainly say it wasn't sets in those first couple of years. It would be something like black drapes and uh, maybe a couple of chairs or something like that. It was a pretty unsophisticated operation in those early years. And and still, you know, to, to this day, I mean... We've toured now so much, you know, it actually amazes me to see something like Balya Gangara when it opened in the McLally Theatre as it it is now, uh, a tiny hundred seater theatre, and then see that flip over a couple of weeks later and play on the gaiety stage. So, you know, we became very experienced at, you know, being able to adapt anything we did into wherever it was we wanted to take it. Sure. And then obviously there's a certain comfort, I suppose, in in touring in Ireland when, as you say, you were aware of a a desire from the audiences. But what about when you first went outside Ireland? Yeah, I mean, I remember that very well. I remember the the first show that we, I think it was was one of the first shows that we took to London was uh, Conversations on a Homecoming by Tom Murphy. And uh, it was to the Donmar Warehouse in London. And I remember warning the cast that, you know, the sort of easy, immediate understanding that they experienced in Ireland might not happen to a sort of semi-West End audience mm. with com- with such, something like Conversations and a Homecoming. But despite how much warning I did, you know, they played to kind of complete silence. And I, I'll never forget them walking off the stage at the end after the curtain call. And I've never seen such a shell-shocked group of people. But then gradually, over the next few performances, they began to tune in and within a few days, they were having the same responses that they would have in Galway. There are so many elements, though, to taking a show. I'm only only thinking about this over the last day or two when I knew I was talking to you. When you're going away, I mean, obviously, the actors have their own concerns, but you have so many other concerns as well about commercial and sales and marketing it as well as, you know, directing it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are things you want to do. Uh, you would love to do, you'd love to see an actor in this particular role or you'd love to see this play on stage, but then you have to ask yourself the question, will will, will the audience want to see it? And, uh, you know, you have to figure out how you're going to, to use the word, market it, you know, the, the context in which the audience are going to see it. it it's kind of like a, a conversation with your audience over the years. It's, it's a dialogue, for want of a better word. And you're, you're having that conversation every time you make a choice of a particular play at a particular time. 
it must be hard for you to get downtime because you, you, you always have to plan ahead. It's not the kind of business you go into if you <laughs> want a nine to five yeah. life, that's for sure. But your downtime and your enjoyment time, you know, is to a large extent it's your work time as well, you know. Yeah. I mean, the kind of friendships and relationships you have uh, in this business is pretty significant. It really is, you know, in the end of the day, I think probably, because there's no real history of, of theatre in my family, I think it was my sense of wanting to work, enjoying working with other people, mm-hmm. enjoying being part of a group and enjoying the sense that if you achieve something, you achieved it together. I think that was what kind of drove me on. Right. Well, that brings us... Uh, to your second musical choice, Gary, Cuivin O'Reilly and Dan Truman. This is one of my absolutely all-time favourite pieces of music. I was lucky enough that actually uh, Cuivin played at my wedding, especially composed piece for myself and Martha. This is another piece of his, Fadden Ilar, which I just absolutely adore. What is it about it that you like so much? The percussion, I think. The, man, the, the way he manages sound and feeling and movement all in, in the one moment. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Cuivin O'Reilly and Dan Truman there, the choice of today's guest, Gary Hines of Druid Theatre. Gary, in, in reading some of the interviews you've done in the past, I read of you on Inish Man one night and you decided to go outdoors with the show. It's in, yeah. in Dune Crowhor. Tell us about that. Well, the uh, idea originally was to do all of the plays, the entire cycle, uh, up in the ring fort on Inishman. What we didn't reckon on, uh, or didn't reckon on enough, was the weather, and it turned out to be just terrible, absolutely terrible day. And so we, you know, we were monitoring the weather all through the day. I mean, the day started at two o'clock. We had the plan B. Obviously, we were in the hall. Mm-hmm. But the weather didn't pick up. And then finally, about eight o'clock, I sort of polled the cast and I said, look, if we can do it outside and if the 26 members of the audience out there agree, will we move up and do it? And uh, they all agreed. When I went out to the audience, I said, we'll go up and, and perform it up there if you do. And sure enough, we moved the whole thing, the audience and the entire company and tech and all that up and did it with the wind blowing and the rain sleeting down and it was one of the most memorable theatre moments of my life anyhow and I think it was with the audiences and, and, and the company too. We had actually tar barrels lit. I mean the crew were heroic the fact that they managed to get everything up across the fields and into the into the fort. You know and I remember uh, Mick was playing the king and as part of the role he, he had he was on two uh, sticks uh, to indicate his great age and I remember being so glad that he had those two sticks because otherwise he would have been blown away and across the Atlantic Ocean. It's such an image, it's a, such a powerful image isn't it? Even now. It was, yeah. I, I can still see him and the hair was blown straight off the back of his head you know and sort of kind of roaring his lines up against the wind. Because they were very lucky people who attended that weren't they? I think they were probably that they survived it at all, and nobody <laughs> nobody died of of flu or cold or anything like that. I mean, the amount of hot whiskies that was ordered in the pub that night was significant. Yeah. Things like that must give you a huge bond as well. Yeah, they do. Yeah, without a doubt, yeah. they do. What about the first time you went to America? 
I'm trying to remember. Yeah, the first time we went to America was a festival in uh, New York State. It was run by or was sponsored by Pepsi Cola. And we uh, took conversations on a homecoming and I think Playboy. It was a strange experience uh, at the time because the audience was incredibly sort of uh, wealthy and incredibly white and nothing like the kind of audiences I was used to being part of in somewhere like New York, where I went, uh, I spent the, the summers I was in college, I spent them in New York watching theatre everywhere uh, on a J1 visa. Mm. So sorry to see today that, you know, they could be gone. That the J1s yeah. have been, you know, because it was it was a life changing experience for me. But, that, but, but did the audience get get the play? I think they did to some extent. You know, they got it in the sense that they were, you know, they were. It, it was a it was a play about it was a play about foreign cultures, if you like, and from that point of view. But it was much better than uh, when we got to New York later, got to New York City, and just became part of the general run of things rather than being sort of imported in for a festival. I, I don't know why. I would have assumed you would have a lot of West of Ireland people going to see you in America. Yeah, no, we would have. And not just a lot of West of Ireland people, a lot of Irish people. And indeed, they, they would have been those audiences that we depended on in, say, the 80s and early 90s. But then gradually, as we have, you know, we, we, we have performed in in New York now, um, so many years, almost year after year, our audience has broadened to being a theatre audience generally rather than audiences that come to us just simply because we're an Irish theatre company. Sure. I mean, the huge success you had with the Tony Awards, did that change things significantly for you? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it did change things. It gave us a, um, it gave us a, a name recognition factor and just exactly as you introduced me earlier on in the programme, the fact, you know, I mean, the Tony Awards are regarded in me in something like the American scene that even a Tony nomination re- requires that phrase to be used in front of your name when you're introduced. So, yes, it did. It was wonderful, but at the end of the day, it was like any award ceremony. They're great on the day, but then you, you come home and you You've turn start, around and you yeah. start planning the next show. I, I mentioned earlier... Covid is just horrendous for for the arts and and and, yeah. and for theatre in particular. What's the situation now? I mean, you've battled through ma- for forty five years, battled through so many yeah. setbacks. Is is Covid the most savage and greatest setback you've faced? Particularly when this should have been the summer of Galway twenty twenty, etc. Absolutely, yeah, of course it is because. Covid attacks the very nature of what we do. I mean, in order for a play to exist, even if it's only one person in the audience and one actor on the stage, we have to assemble and we have to influence each other and contact each other. It's, it's theatre is or should be infectious. So, yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, it's, it's unimaginable. But, you know, after the initial shock, we've done what people in the theatre or people in the arts generally done is... We've gone out there and tried to find ways around it. The Arts Council brought in a stabilisation fund for the arts generally, and we are just looking forward to getting back to live audiences as soon as possible, and that's what we're planning for. Well, we all wish it comes soon and speedily for you all. It's been lovely chatting with with you, Gary. We're we're going to play out with your, your final selection. 
Nora Jones, don't know why. What, what's behind this selection? I, I don't know if you remember, but when that album was released, I mean, it was absolutely everywhere. I sort of got, grew very tired of it. And uh, <laughs> that year, um, we actually had a full sort of Heinz family holiday together, which, you know, I was looking to as a series of, of loud arguments. But the one thing that I remember that we all agreed on was that that was a wonderful album and we played it non-stop so I can never hear it without it bringing me back to a great Heinz celebration. Lovely and may there be many more Heinz celebrations with Brood. Gary, it's a pleasure talking to you. We all wish you the very best of luck and, and as I say a speedy return to the stage. Thank you very much for joining us Gary Thanks, Heinz. Thanks Thank, Thank you. you. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.